This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. What a day, ladies and gentlemen. There's plenty of news going on. The United Nations appears uh, to have a breakout of common sense. They've got a new bloke running the uh, International Panel on Climate Change. You know, that's the organisation that uh, all those eco-nutters keep quoting from. Uh, the ones who have never actually got anything right in the entire history of the IPCC. These were the same people uh, who back in the 80s said uh, that Canary Wharf would be underwater by the year 2000. Uh, well, it still isn't, I'm afraid. They've got that wrong and it's now... 2023 uh, for those of you who are still counting but they appear to have a new Scottish professor at the helm uh, who says basically all of this climate catastrophization that we keep hearing about that the earth is burning up that the world is on fire that you know we're all going to die in a horrible fireball he actually says do you know what that's not really any good because people actually turn off, they stop listening, they stop caring, and at the end of the day, uh, they won't do anything about climate change. So it's counterproductive as well. So well done to Just Stop Oil. Not only have you completely failed in your mission to frighten the bejesus out of the uh, British public, uh, you've also now encouraged Rishi Sunak to head off to the North Sea and do a bit more exploration for oil and gas. So you haven't actually not just stopped oil, you've actually encouraged further use of it. Tremendous, well played. Uh, also, this Scottish professor says basically if it does rise uh, in temperature by 1.5 degrees, this planet will not actually burn up and explode. He actually says it's not that bad. So there we are. The United Nations has finally picked up on it. Tony Blair has finally picked up on it. Rishi Sunak is beginning to pick up on it. So could we be having uh, the dawn of a new era of common sense? You know, this is the home of common sense. So naturally, I would be encouraging people to be as sensible as possible. Also, in another outbreak of common sense, it would appear that those dreadful corrupt law firms, you know, those ones that were encouraging illegal migrants to come into this country and then giving them sob stories so that they could stay here illegally, telling them, oh, we'll just say you're gay so you can't be sent home. Oh, just say that you're suffering from depression, so you might be suicidal, so you can't be sent home. Uh, just tell them uh, that you're getting married to somebody who already lives here, so you can't be sent home. Well, not only were they exposed by the Daily Mail last week, but the Solicitor's Regulation Authority has now shut them down completely, which is great news. Suella Braverman uh, is, uh, uh, is clapping and applauding. She says this swift response is very, very good, and it's very, very unusual as well. So that's great news for all of us. We're also going to be talking to uh, Alex Phillips this morning to find out the latest from her. We'll find out why as well primary school ch children in this country are being taught critical race theory uh, and talk about white privilege. We'll also go on about that Costa ad uh, where they've used a trans man with mastectomy scars to sell you a cappuccino. Not quite sure what that means. I don't know why they're doing it. Have they lost the plot? It would seem so. Laura Dodsworth is here as well. She'll talk about uh, the harmed emotional development of almost half of the children in this country, thanks to, of course, 
the lockdown. Uh, and we'll be talking as well uh, about Justin Urquhart-Stewart's story today, uh, which is why the banks, having taken loads and loads of money off you because interest rates have gone up, are refusing to give it back to people who have actually got some savings. Outrageous. 0344 499 1000. We might even play you uh, that rather funny bear uh, video from China where the man dressed as a bear is apparently being thought of as to be a bear. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan says he looks a bit like a bear, but we shall see. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Also, more bad news for those of you who think moderate drinking is a good idea. Apparently, one drink a day increases blood pressure, according to a study in the US, Japan and Korea, spanning two decades. Basically, they say, uh, if you, even if you have one drink, uh, you run the risk of your blood pressure increasing. So best, basically, best not to drink at all. I mean, have they any idea what it's like to live in this day and age? How the hell are you supposed to get through the day without having a drink? Let's have a word with Alex Phillips, former MEP, of course, and presenter uh, of Jeremy Carl Live last night. So, Alex, very good morning to you. All right, good morning. Are good, you doing that all week then? Yeah, do you guys are working me hard at the moment. That's good. I do need a drink after it. You certainly sure. do. You, you certainly do. I'm not taking any advice from uh, these studies that have been going on for decades that say don't drink anything at all. Absolutely ridiculous. Let's kick off though, Alex, with I want to talk about the, the North Sea as well. But let's kick off with this great story in the mail. Shutting down these uh, immigrant um, solicitors offices, these places that were exposed last week as being corrupt. They, they supposedly fired a few people who were involved in, in this jiggery pokery, but they've now shut the actual firms down, which is great it's the first time i've ever seen anything done this quickly i know right i'm surprised channel 4 went sniffing around doing investigations mm, mm. am i um but you know i think this has been a known known for a long time hasn't it that you've got dodgy lawyers and you know these sort of like fake weddings this has been reported in the press yeah decades uh, enabling people to get into the country illegally um and thank thankfully someone did an expose on it and some action has been mm. taken but why has it taken so long in terms of the reporting of this and then in terms of the action is there not some sort of watchdog who goes around checking that solicitors practices are operating lawfully uh, you would imagine there should be some yeah. sort of organization that is in place to do that and if so why are they being caught napping on the job well exactly i mean these are the people who have actually done the job that they were supposed to do the Solicitor's Regulation Authority, but you're quite right because, you know, I've been getting loads and loads of messages from people who say all you've got to do is go to certain parts of the country, go to certain sort of communities in the country, and you will see these law firms all over the place advertising for, you know, immigration services, advertising for, you know, get your British passport here, all of that sort of stuff. It's their speciality. It's an absolute goldmine, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, the one thing I've always found quite intriguing about the entire human trafficking international organizations that manage to operate with impunity is they often leave big paper trails you know that how on earth are you advertising your services one of course is TikTok, mm. and it's a long time for the government to tamp down on social media being used to advertise channel crossings but how do people get around buying a ruddy great dinghy on a regular basis right. i mean surely there's a paper trail there as well i don't think it could be that difficult to bust some of these trafficking rings and then the enablers on the other side of the channel who are here to pick people up on the other side you know when people come yeah. across on boats very often there are cars waiting to collect people and whisk them up into the black markets or whatever it may be so right. now those people being hauled in i just I, I i don't understand how an organization an operation that has such a large footprint manages con to continue to thrive mm. 
same as it does. Well, exactly right. Because, I mean, you would imagine that, you know, those huge boats that they come on, they call them small boats, but they're not very small. You know, you get 50 or 60 people on them. You'd think if you had those loaded up on a trailer, say five deep, you'd probably see that from space driving up right. the old Calais auto route, wouldn't you? You'd think somebody you'd think could just so. pull them over and go, what are you doing? Hello, hello, hello. What are you doing with those dinghies? Oh, nothing, sir. I'm just taking them up to the beach, you know. Obviously, what they know where these people are, but I've got more bad news for you, because apparently over the course of the next month or so, a fifth of the French police are going to take their annual leave, So, which means there's going to be even fewer French police around uh, to actually arrest these characters before they get in the boats. You know, you might actually find that that reduces the flow of migrants crossing the channel because there are fewer people taking backhanders. <laughs> actually, you're right, because that was the case. That was the traffickers have to go on holiday too. That was the uh, case, wasn't it, when Border Force went on strike. I think it was actually more difficult for the migrants to cross the channel because they weren't being picked up by the Border Force and brought to Dover uh, in their own personal boat. So, so yeah, but, but I mean, it's the beginning at least of something. I mean, I, I'm seeing, I know that people say that I'm, I should be more cynical about these things, but I I'm sort of seeing the beginning of some chinks of light in the government here. You know, if you're actually going to shut these firms down, if you're going to look as if you might move slightly away from the whole net zero madness, you know, could we be onto something? Could they be actually listening to us? They gaslight us, though, don't they, Mike? Because I've been in this situation so many times. I don't care to remember how many times. I feel like I've been drawn in by the Conservative Mm. Party only to be spat back out. I guess for joy when Theresa May announced she was going to restart fracking, um, that was a long time ago, and yet nothing happened. And now we're finally talking about energy security after the fact. You know, after we've got ridiculous wholesale energy prices because Russia invaded Ukraine, after we had to go cap in hand to Qatar, after the fact that, you know, Nord Stream 2, Nord Stream 1, not happening. If we had had fracking when Theresa May promised it, not only would we have energy security, we would be exporting that fuel right now and coining it in. We would be filling the coffers of this government and not circling the plug hole financially. And this is the problem with the Conservative Party. As soon as they realise that the needle has gone the wrong direction for them in terms of public popularity, they will say anything, anything. And two things then happen after such Conservative, Conservative announcements. Number one, the other half of the party starts staging some kind of revolution or revolt. The usual sort of types who come from the sort of leafy Zoe constituencies start moaning and groaning to their mates in mainstream media and then plotting, uh, you know, overthrows and 19, whatever it is, committee, 1922 committee and all of that nonsense kicks off again. And the other thing is, they will simply not deliver it, even if they had party mm. support, because they usually promise things that when it comes to the bounds of um, international convention, they cannot do. They will suddenly realise that, you know, it's wrong illegally or that, you know, for whatever reason, we've signed up to some international treaty or prevent us doing this or that. They're extremely good at spin and rhetoric. They know how to talk the talk whenever it suits them. But after 13 years... Can we honestly say we've ever, ever see them walk the walk? Because I can't think of one thing that they've actually done that seems remotely conservative. Well, I did say that yesterday, that, you know, barring uh, the, the, the getting Brexit done conversation, which is up to a point uh, done, but then a lot more than needs to be done before you can call it properly done. At the end of the day, they haven't really done much in 13 years, have they? <laughs> Apart from sort of running everything into the ground. You know, nothing really I mean, works anymore and you can't really rely on anything. 
Yeah, what they seem to have done is given loads of their mates, consultancy mates, billions of pounds for a railway track that doesn't even exist and is like <laughs> to be cancelled. I feel like that's the only thing I can remember the Conservative Party for. Everything else that they have semi-achieved, they haven't even achieved. You know, if you look at the whole uh, matter of Brexit, there would not have been an EU referendum without UKIP. There would have not no. have been um, this deal rushed through Parliament and a successful general election for Boris Johnson were it not for the Brexit Party. Even the things, the big wins that they claim are not big wins at all. I think the only thing, or two things perhaps, that the government could claim to have done well and conservative um, would have been the vaccine rollout in terms of saying to the EU, you know, we're not going to join your ridiculous procurement scheme. We are going mm. to go do this ourselves. But they were aided and abetted by the private sector. It was AstraZeneca who should be getting the round of applause for that, quite frankly. And then the second thing is coming to the aid of Ukraine. And uh, that is something we should be very proud of. But again, uh, I think we were able to do that because of our geopolitical uh, location and because of the fact we're not tied into arms deals with Germany. Um, and, and some of the powers that be that make sure those decisions are made don't change with yeah. every government. But a lot of people will say, yeah, well, that's all very well. But, you know, where does that go? Where does it end? It's a sort of open ended commitment, which nobody really understands and which nobody knows how much the end cost is going to be. And when we're in a state of flux in terms of our economy. You know, there's going to be more and more people like they do in America asking the question, what are we doing this for? Well, do you know, I think it's very clear what we're doing this for, because believe you me, Mike, if we don't do this, the axis against the West is emboldening itself with every single passing day. And I'm extremely alarmed, actually, about what is going on in Niger and across the Sahel region of Africa. People might think, well, what, what's important about that? Everything's important about that. This is where all the world's rare earth minerals are. Mm. This is where a lot of fossil fuels are. And frankly, when the communist powers take over in a neo-colonial way, those states, they are running all of the Earth's minerals and resources that we desperately need to maintain our power. Um, but, you know, I I think when it comes to Ukraine, this is a big opportunity. We've got a huge, huge arms sector in the UK. It's a massive employer and a big contributor to GDP in this country. So let's just ramp up production. You know, let's ramp up production and create a lot more jobs in places like BAE Systems. In many respects, this could be a big win for us. OK, well, stay where you are, because we've got some other things to talk about as well. Alex Phillips is with us, former MEP, of course. Uh, lots more to do. We've got to talk about Costa and the coffee uh, nonsense that they've been putting out there. The advert, uh, which shows a trans man uh, with uh, a double mastectomy. Absolutely bizarre. Plus critical race theory in primary schools in this country. Talking to kids about white privilege. Really? This is Talk TV. Online on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Alex Phillips is with us, former MEP, of course. Uh, Alex, unbelievably, when I saw that Costa Coffee advert yesterday, when it was drawn to my attention, I actually thought it was a parody. Because you know how sometimes like, there's a parody of Just Stop Oil that some people fall for sometimes because it looks exactly like the real official Just Stop Oil um, Twitter account. I was pretty sure, if I thought, if that, if that is not... A spoof. That's an extraordinary thing to actually advertise. I mean, I don't know whether you had the same thought or whether you realise that we are so woke now in this world that nothing surprises us. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, this has become the latest cultural currency, hasn't it? You've got to support essentially maiming and massacring the healthy flesh of young people, mm. uh, alter some sort of mental health issue, uh, rather than address the mental health issue. It's a mental health issue that traditionally was only 
uh, only blighted about 0.3% of the population at best, if not lower than that. Um, and yet we've all got to be on board with it and try and tell everybody that they should be thinking about, you know, removing breast tissue and locking off their genitals and whatnot. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I don't understand who they're trying to appeal to here, because as we know, there it aren't many people with this uh, dysphoria in society, no. apart from a few, you know, big handful of teenagers getting brainwashed on Instagram. So who is it they're actually trying to market to? What I find quite sick actually in our societies we still live in a world that is extremely hostile to people with disabilities mm. you know when i go to a tube station when i get when i'm going on holiday and have to try and lug my suitcase down two flights of steps i often think to myself what is this like for people who genuinely have mm. physical incapacity yeah. and there are very few tube lines that accommodate people with physical incapacity there's very few shops that do that there are lots of people out there with genuine disabilities mm. people who are blind people who are deaf people who are wheelchair bound and there's never been any sort of you know let's look after those let's include those let's promote things for those people because you know these are people with a real need in society you've got to have a made-up confected need you've got to have some sort of gender question questioning or racial existential crisis or sexuality existential crisis you know it's all the made up things that are um you know elevated to high levels of status where real disabilities are ignored yeah it really is extraordinary i mean this is what a costa coffee spokesperson said right at costa coffee we celebrate the diversity of our customers team members and partners we want everyone that interacts with us to experience the inclusive environment that we create to encourage people to feel welcomed free and unashamedly proud to be themselves the mural in its entirety showcases and celebrates inclusivity I mean, I was listening to Julia this morning um, talking to uh, that Labour MP who does not champion women's rights at all. I can't remember his name now, the double-barrelled bloke. Um, it, what it doesn't show uh, at all is inclusivity and what it doesn't do is celebrate anything. I mean, why would you celebrate somebody mutilating their own body? I know, it's, it's a perversion. It's a I mean, weird it's, word, isn't it, celebrate? It's a perversion at this stage, and it's deeply alarming. I don't understand quite how we've accelerated to this point in a matter of years. Uh, mm. What next? What are we going to be promoting next and glorifying? Um, also, by, you're going into the Costa Coffee, generally speaking, to have some rather overpriced white foamy milk um, with a piece of crappy Danish, which looks right. as if it's been sitting there for about four days. You know, if you're stupid enough to go and waste your money for about seven quid, uh, then good luck to you. But what you don't need is a poster of somebody with a mutilated body. And at the same time as well, I would hasten to add, I doubt Costa Coffee showers themselves in moral rectitude when it comes to where and how they buy their coffee beans, probably yeah. exploiting kids in fields in Kenya uh, via the EU and the cosy corporate cartel of Nestle and Unilever and mm. so on and so forth. And I doubt also that they would ever hold themselves accountable for making these sort of, you know, iced coffee drinks so laden with sugar mm. that a teenager could probably ingest their entire calorific allowance for the day with some frappa crappuccino, whatever it's called. <laughs> I mean, and obesity is a real crisis in this country. And it's companies like Costa yeah. Coffee mainlining sugar into people's veins. I know. It's absolutely extraordinary what they sell in there and, and, and then pretend that they're doing good. You know, they're really not doing any good for anybody. So they should sit down and shut up, I think. But that's enough of them. What about uh, this other organisation that I came across today for the first time called The Key, which apparently is a national information service with a £30 million turnover. This is the kind of thing when you find out about it is actually 
actually truly shocking because presumably the £30 million turnover that this mob are, are getting through their door is all coming from our school system because it would appear uh, that they basically have all sorts of uh, leadership resources being given to more than 13,000 schools and trust, educational trust in the country. Incredible. Do you know, it seems to me, just as we seem to invent mental health conditions, identities and genders these days, we also invent entire professions and organisations that cling off the back of them. You know, these fantasy land uh, consultancies who want to peddle mm. their mad neuroses to a population who then want to sort of say, well, have you ever thought that you might be a little bit mentally ill? Well, we're here to help and we're going to tell everyone about your mental illness. I mean, it, it is mental illness of itself, isn't it? And I think there's way too much of this going on in workplaces in classrooms what happens just getting a day of work done mm. what happens just sitting at a computer or going on a production line or whatever it may be and getting a day of work done without having to stop every five seconds and questioning whether you're being some sort of ist a racist yes. a sex uh, you know, it, it, it's just... Or whether you're you're taking advantage of white privilege uh, in a school setting, because this is one of the things that they teach. And, and of course, because a lot of people live in cities in this country, which are pretty multiracial, they forget that most of this country uh, is sort of, you know, 86, 90% white. And so the idea that you're sitting in a primary school somewhere in Dorset, being told that you're suffering from white privilege, and you're looking around going, well, everybody's white. Well, I don't even know what that means. But actually, look, let's just let's just tell it as it is, which no one ever does these days, do they? But I'm going to do it. I'm going to stick my head above the parapet. Frankly, if you want to get on in banking, if you want to get on in media, if you want to get on in almost any career right now, it helps to not be white. It actually helps to not be normcore, to mm. not be straight, to not be white, to not have an English surname. It helps to have some sort of tick box quality that you can say elevates you in, in some sort of level above other contenders it makes you the more special candidate um and i think that that is something that we're not talking about look i'm not saying that white people haven't had it great for years of course we have you know we have come through various decades where we've been pretty rotten to people who have come into this country and called it their mm. home but we've gone so far in the other direction now that the net result is it builds up resentment it finds racism mm. where there racism and actually makes us a more divided society. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that that is exactly what has happened. And it's great to see you. We'll see you at seven o'clock tonight, I guess, with another edition uh, of Jeremy Carl Live uh, starring Alex Phillips, former MEP. Uh, of course, we've got lots more to do. Coming up, we're going to be speaking to Harry Wilkinson from Net Zero Watch because he's got some news for us on the carbon capture business. One of the things that Rishi Sunak announced yesterday uh, is that in addition to exploring for more oil and gas in the North Sea, there is going to be an off set scenario going on so I'm going to get Harry to try and explain what that means and later on in the show we've got Dale Vince on as well we'll find out from him what is going on this is Talk TV Nationwide by your side Talk Radio and Talk TV Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Much to do, uh, plenty of time to do it in as well. Jenny in Oxford says this, Professor Jim Ski, the new IPCC bloke, uh, said longer term high tech solutions such as underground CO2 storage were needed. So the new head of the IPCC says carbon capture was needed. The £20 billion invested then will be an investment for the future. Well, just as you say that, Jenny, uh, I'm delighted to say um, that I'm now joined by Harry Wilkinson from Net Zero Watch. Harry, very good morning, good morning. to you. Um, you were 
on last night as well, I seem to, seem to remember. Um, this is an interesting story because I'm hoping that you can explain to me uh, about some of the stuff that Rishi Sunak announced yesterday. He's talked about exploring for new oil and gas um, in, uh, in the North Sea, but also he's setting up this multi-billion pound carbon capture business. Now, I think like most people, um, I don't really understand what carbon capture is. So, so what is it and, and is it worth doing? Well, what carbon capture and storage is all about is really filling some of those empty spaces, those caverns that have been created by the extraction of oil and gas in the first place, filling it with CO2 and just sealing it and storing it there. But it has been a very expensive process in the past. Mm. It's part of what the industry says uh, is is its pathway to being a more, you know, carbon neutral industry yes. however i think we should but is take that these... more in the in the kind of the the, the, the wording more than anything else we, we should take these claims with a pinch of salt mm. the technology hasn't really been proven on an affordable mass scale right. anywhere in the world so far but i think Excellent. it's worth welcoming that uh, rishi sunak seems to be taking a more reasonable approach to energy at the moment yeah. he said he's still committed to net zero but he wants to make sure it doesn't come at a cost burden yeah. to people, that and it shouldn't for, involve banning well, things. Exactly. And I think for a lot of people, that's a re- reasonably sensible position. I mean, there are plenty of people who, like me, are dubious about the whole escapade of, of net zero, because I'm not even sure, and I still haven't yet got anyone to explain to me exactly what it is. And what I mean by that is that when you ask a politician, what is net zero? They give you the stock answer. Well, it's when you, um, you neutralise the amount of carbon that you are expending into the air uh, by doing something else. And you go, well, fine. But why are you going to do that? And then they say, well, of course, it's because we want to show an example to the rest of the world, even though we know it won't make any difference. So the whole point of it is, is sort of slightly nebulous for me. But if you want to absolutely go down that road, by all means, but don't let it cost us a little load of money. And that's you know, what Net Zero Watch has been saying for yeah. a long time, is that we're not against you know, the desire to get emissions down mm. and uh, reduce the impact when it comes to climate change of our emissions. Right. However, it has to be affordable. It has to leave, uh, not leave people worse off, not leave people poorer and mm. colder. And we've seen, heard so much from politicians, as you say, uh, over the years about how we're going to deliver a net zero, we're going to deliver these uh, climate targets without much focus on the cost. Yeah. But now we have Rishi Sunak saying it can't cost people the earth, and he's got to explain that to the public. And actually, I think he would do very well to highlight a disconnect with the Labour Party, mm. who wants to be more ambitious, and actually con- contrast that with a Conservative approach that's actually about doing this in a far more yeah. affordable way. But even Keir Starmer's been under fire, hasn't he, recently? Because he kind of looked as if he was putting the uh, the net zero kind of pr- production in the north of, uh, of the country and in Scotland on the back burner. And so he was kind of being criticised for that. Um, but, but soon that's gone even further, isn't it? Well, finally, the whole debate seems to be opening up. And I think there will be lots of tensions in the Labour Party as well. Yeah. Now, we've seen Ed Miliband, mm. who wants to go further, faster than anyone else, yeah. uh, seemingly with no uh, sense of what the, what the consequences of that would be uh, for ordinary people. Whereas you've got Keir Starmer, who I think is a bit more sensible. He can see that this will hurt ordinary people. And he's trying to rein in Ed Miliband, who doesn't want to be reined in. So we're seeing tensions in the Labour Party as well. I welcome the fact that this debate is finally opening up. We're actually questioning how we're going to get there. We're looking at what are the cost implications for ordinary people. Mm. We were told by going for wind and solar, you know, our bills would come down. But actually, over the last decade or more... 
prices have just gone up and up in mm. terms of electricity, in terms of our energy needs. Um, and so it hasn't delivered. And we see the countries with the highest level of renewables have the highest electricity prices. Yeah. So well, that also just hasn't the kind of The irony, it seems to me, of an awful lot of this move to just create more electricity and power more things with electricity rather than gas or anything else there's an awful lot of the electricity is actually generated by and fueled by gas so it's a kind of um you know it's robbing peter to pay paul if you like that's right and i think the government needs to focus on getting the price of that electricity down it says it wants to do a lot of things with electricity Mm. instead of gas and for that to be affordable you know, you have to get the price of electricity down a long way. If the government just focused on cost, actually it would find many of the other things that it wants to do come much more easily Mm. because heat pumps is an issue we've discussed a lot. Uh, Those are very difficult to install and actually lead Mm. to bill reductions for people. If electricity came down a long way, then we might be in a different position. Exactly. Well, I'm just reading a piece here in front of me from Justin Rowlett, the famous climate editor of the BBC, who's written a piece today about how the way we heat our homes is going to change. And he reckons that in 12 years' time, you won't be able to buy a gas boiler anymore. Now, I just think that's the sort of ridiculous statement that people really object to. Because up in Scotland, they're trying to make out that if you have a gas boiler, you may find it more difficult to sell your home. But gas is by far Mm. and away the most efficient and the cheapest way to do anything. Well, people like Justin Rowlett just want to make these pronouncements and say that they'll happen in this absolutist way. Yes. Um, When Look at the effects for ordinary people. If if you want to install a heat pump for your house, you probably need potentially tens of thousands of pounds on energy efficiency upgrades. And after all of that, you may have a boiler that doesn't heat your house as Mm. well. Um, and isn't as good as well. It's a very mixed picture, isn't it? I mean, we had a note from somebody yesterday who said that they had a heat pump installed uh, in a block of flats because I was saying I think it's very difficult to do that. Um, I don't know who they are, but they said it was working fine. I also know people who have got quite big houses who have had them installed uh, and they don't work at all. Um, but again, another one of Justin's, um, Justin Rolat's kind of uh, proclamations. He says, heating our homes accounts for as much as 16% of the UK's planet warming carbon dioxide emissions. Now, does he mean heating our homes in Britain? Does he mean heating our homes in America? What does he actually mean by that? Well, I, he's, he's looking at the UK specifically. It's worth remembering that these are the government's policies as well. Mm. Unfortunately, because for too long they have just been following what the well, climate really questioned wants. Them, and uh, there is a, t- you know, there is a target to actually phase out new gas boilers from from 2035. So, you know, these policies are unlikely to be delivered. The government needs to realise that sooner rather than later. We've mm. got a target as well with petrol and diesel vehicles yes. to say we won't allow new sales of those either. Mm. Now, these policies will do real damage. For yeah. people. People, but we've also got people, to go ahead. But we've also got people like Jaguar Land Rover and Volvo saying after that time we're not going to make any more petrol and diesel cars anyway. Well, I mean, which I find astonishing. The UK is is a relatively small mm. car market in the grand scheme of things. There will be plenty of companies providing petrol and diesel cars way beyond even if the UK. Yeah, no, I get that. But if, but if Jaguar mm. Land Rover say they're just not going to make them, you know, that's quite a statement. This is the sort of corporate madness. Uh, madness that we see because actually, you know, they've they've moved from actually producing vehicles that people want to buy mm. to try and persuading in cahoots with the government. They yeah. want the government to help them persuade people mm. to buy the products that they're producing. You know, traditionally it's been the other way around, 
and they've actually tried yeah. to meet well, their consumers. I'm told, needs. and you probably can confirm this, that one of the reasons why there's a shortage of, of, of sort of electric car um, networks in, in the country is because a lot more electric cars are out there. Not because people particularly wanted them, but because the government gave tax breaks to companies to buy electric cars for their fleets. Uh, to give to their employees, which is what they've done. But now there's not enough charging points for them to all manage to get their cars charged at the same time. So there's been this sort of fake surge in purchasing mm. electric cars, and it's now fallen back again. Well, the figures have been somewhat stitched up by the fact that all of the new sales in EVs, or mm. at least a large proportion of them, have been company car fleets. Yes. They haven't been That's people saying, choosing yeah. to buy them. Right. We now have a massive uh, you know, reductions in the prices mm. of second-hand vehicles which are electric vehicles, yeah. the prices aren't holding up. And that's a reflection of people's mm. real preferences. Yes. They're not finding these cars as good as their old mm. petrol and diesel cars. No. And, and politicians should look at that, reflect. You know, these products aren't delivering. Um, they need to have humility about that. And they need to offer people choice. Because if you have an outright ban mm. and you're forcing people to use what is not a preferred product by consumers, mm. you will just leave people either with a worse car or not even being able to afford yeah. to drive at all. And that will be a huge backward step. We've got all these things that work in this country. We've got gas boilers yeah. which work. We've got cars yeah. that work. Why and there is a war discontinue? on things that yeah. work. Why it's crazy. You, exactly right. Why would you discontinue things that work, which are cheaper mm. and which are more easy to use for something which is more expensive, more difficult to use, and less kind of... Um, shall we say, agile uh, mm. as, a, as, a, as a product. I mean, electric cars now um, are better than they used to be, but they're still in no way any kind of substitute for driving long distances. They're not uh, a good way of, of getting around town particularly. You know, they're mm. very heavy. Um, they're, there's an awful lot of things wrong with them, basically. Well, we often talk about being climate leaders mm. in the UK, mm. but it's used in this very superficial way because politicians can just make a target and then say they're the world leader yeah. without having achieved anything right you know if we want to be a world leader let's develop the products that people would choose to buy right. without compulsion right. well, and not force them to buy mm. things that they don't want to buy well, it's a bit like these declarations at the end of cop 26 and cop 27 you know the declarations don't really mean anything you know they make a promise which they inevitably later on don't keep so what's the point and i think that's feeding the delude sort of the disappointment that many people are seeing in politics because they don't trust the pledges. Mm. Uh, they see politicians that are more interested in getting sort of uh, kudos for themselves yeah. at these international conferences rather than delivering affordable, mm. achievable policies that improve people's lives. It should be about helping people. It shouldn't be about just winning credit on the international stage. Absolutely. You'll be pleased to know that you're being appreciated. Bernie says this, Harry Wilkinson gives me hope for my grandson's future. We see so many young folk being virtually signalling crazies. Harry seems so sensible. Oh, well, that's very nice, that nice to hear that. But it's true. You know, we hear now from the new guy who's in charge of the IPCC, Professor Jim Ski, uh, that actually all of this catastrophizing that people do uh, actually has counterproductive results because people, one, just switch off when you say the mm. world's going to burn up in 2035 and we're all going to die. And so he says the, the combination of that means that people either do nothing because they think it's all hopeless mm. and loads of 16 to 24-year-olds think it's true. And, and on the other hand, it kind of it dulls everybody's mm. senses to the point where uh, they say, well, you know, what's the point? It's so refreshing to hear that. And yeah. many people of my generation and younger are absolutely terrified about climate change mm. because they've only been fed because, a yeah. sort of alarmist set right. of facts which don't really reflect 
what the science yes. is showing on climate change and don't reflect the enormous improvements that we've seen. Mm. You know, we do see far fewer deaths in extreme weather events, and that's because of human development, human ingenuity, yeah. technological progress. Well, I mean, look at and what we can was expect that to continue. Just what, two weeks ago, when Europe was on fire, and apparently nobody had mm. ever seen anything like it. Well, nobody's saying anything about that now, because and, guess what? It's not on fire. And no one pointed out that actually the burnt area in terms of wildfires across Europe has been coming down over recent yeah. years. So there's all this alarm on one side, and there's none of the context, none of the facts that don't go with the narrative that might lead people to different conclusions. Yeah. What we've seen is an explosion of reporting of wildfires, uh, maybe more so than any increase in wildfires. That's not to say, you know, there hasn't been more fire weather, hot temperatures, yeah. drier weather that is associated with a warming climate. Mm. You know, we shouldn't say that those factors aren't real, but we should be optimistic about the fact that we right. can deal with this. Uh, but also, we let's can not, manage it. And let's not exaggerate mm. things and make things out to, to be completely ludicrous, because Professor Ski again has also said um, that he doesn't believe that if the temp temperature of the planet rises by one and a half percent, which is what, or one and a half degrees rather, which is what uh, the, the, the climate kind of crazies are saying, will kill us all he says it won't actually kill the planet yes it will make it warmer and there'll be things that, that are bad as a result but what it won't do is destroy the planet well yeah 1.5 degrees came out of a political process yeah um during the cop negotiations where some small island states uh, said that they weren't happy with the previous two degree target they thought the islands would be you know, sinking underwater unless it was 1.5. Yeah. Now, that's not the reality. A lot of these Pacific islands are actually expanding. Mm. They're building new islands. They're building airports. Uh, so there is, you know, there is hope for these countries. They won't just fall under the sea. That's if no one did anything. But, of mm. course, people will do things, mm. and they will be protected. So then the politicians ask the scientists, oh, come up with a report that backs it up. Mm. So it hasn't come from the science. It's come from the politicians. Yeah. And he's quite right that, you know, the world's not going to end if we exceed 1.5. We are actually very close to uh, to 1.5 at the moment. Mm. Well, this is it, you know, uh, use science it, as you will. You can always find some science to back up anything you want to say, really. Uh, great to see you again, Harry. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, lots more to come, including, of course, your calls, 0344 499 1000. Harry Wilkinson from Net Zero Watch talking an awful lot of sense and giving us, yes, some hope for the future. Why not? This is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the home of common sense, the place where you get uh, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth and accept, uh, really don't accept any substitutes because there simply aren't any. Uh, this morning we've been talking an awful lot about that Costa Coffee ad and we've also been talking an awful lot about Rishi Sunak and the North Sea uh, and also the new man in charge of the uh, uh, United Nations IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change. They finally found somebody from Scotland who's actually got a brain. They finally found somebody who isn't like Gutierrez, the man who's in charge of the UN, the Secretary General, who the other day said that the global uh, warming situation had changed to global boiling. Uh, well, he ought to have a word with his new man at the IPCC because he says all of this catastrophization uh, of the climate and the crisis is actually doing no good at all. In fact, it's having the opposite effect. And as I said earlier, Just Stop Oil have done the great service of making sure that Rishi Sunak is doing exactly the opposite of what they want. And it would appear that their entire strategy has backfired massively. Marvellous. Very good. All he needs to do now is start fracking. And then we'd all be in pretty good shape and we could have cheaper energy uh, and we could spend more of our money uh, on drink, which, according to a study of the Daily Telegraph, is going to kill you anyway because your blood pressure is going to be too high. But let us not 
dwell too much on that. Let us instead celebrate another thing this morning. It's the Solicitors Regulation Authority has managed to uh, kill off three... Uh, independent solicitors companies who were basically inventing stories, helping illegal migrants to come to this country and stay here illegally. It's something that we all suspected was going on, but was confirmed uh, by this great investigation in the Daily Mail last week. Um, we now, though, have found that actually something has been done, which is about as shocking to me as anything. Uh, Rishi Sunak and Lord Chancellor Alex Chalk had said the allegations of appalling conduct must be met with the full force of sanctions, but nobody really thought anything would happen. But amazingly, the solicitors' regulation Authority uh, has closed the lawyers down. Fantastic. Let's talk to Isabel Oakshot, Talk TV's international editor. I could scarcely believe my eyes this morning, Isabel. Good morning to you. Uh, when I saw this, I thought, blimey, somebody's actually done something. It is an extraordinarily rare case of something good being achieved <laughs> by this government, of this government actually for once doing what it says it's going to do. Mm. Um, I think the terrifying thing about this investigation is that we know that there will be so many other lawyers providing just the same fraudulent, frankly, services as these individuals were. Um, for, for those who haven't watched the videos, the undercover video footage, I mean, these lawyers were effectively um, volunteering for a, for a very high fee, of course, mm. up to £10,000 a pop, to literally fabricate stories, tales of dreadful persecution and suicidal thoughts and uh, all sorts of other absolute nonsense uh, in order to secure um, rights to remain for people who had no basis on which to do so whatsoever. Um, and we know that this is going on up and down the country on an industrial scale. Uh, and all credit to the Daily Mail for identifying some of the culprits. And it's great that the government has actually done what it said it's going to do and is seeking to make an example of these people. But I am very worried that it continues and will continue right across the country because there's so much money to be made out of it and because the Home Office is such an easy target. Mm. Because it's awful lot easier um, for our uh, very easily fatigued civil servants just to nod something through than it is for them to actually take the trouble to in examine whether the um, the tall tales that they're being met with actually bear any yeah. scrutiny whatsoever. Well, that is part of the problem, isn't it? Because they clearly are so gullible, or uh, at least they don't want to uh, try and disbelieve a story, uh, that you can pretty much tell them the moon was made of green cheese and they'd go, oh, OK, you must be right then. You know, because if somebody sits in front of you and tells you that they can't go back to their home country because they're gay, you know, you don't just go, oh, fine then, well, here's a, here's a hotel room. By all means, walk in there and enjoy yourself, order some food, uh, here's some money to spend, and you can stay there as long as you want. Well, I mean, I'm afraid that's exactly what we do do. And we're talking tens of thousands of people every year. And nobody is really looking at these cases properly. Um, you know, and the, and the industry has become quite sophisticated. Mm. I mean, well, on the one hand, it's, it's actually not sophisticated at all. You know, they've just got a few props. You know, you, this one in one particular case that the mail exposed the lawyer had a drawer full of antidepressants, which presumably were kind of wheeled out at the opportune moment as if to demonstrate that the client really did have mental health problems. Mm. Here, look, here's a box of uh, antidepressants. It must be true what I'm saying. Um, so that, in a sense, is not very sophisticated at all, uh, but it just doesn't take much to... Um, 
to tick the boxes. Mm. That's all this is. It is a tick right. box exercise. It is not what people in this country expect from a government that promised to take back control of our borders. They've done the precise opposite mm. of that. Uh, and it, somehow or other, uh, they have got to get a grip on this, not just on the few cases that the Daily Mail has done all the hard work for them, you know, handing them these cases on a plate. This has to be weeded out absolutely root and branch. Mm. I'm completely, I couldn't agree more because people have said to me that, you know, uh, where they live in parts of the Midlands or parts of um, the North um, and certain towns, you can go into these areas to communities and find law firms all over the place advertising immigration services, advertising, you know, uh, help with getting a British passport, help with becoming a citizen, all of that, which is entirely legal, of course. But I mean, it wouldn't take a genius to work out that if you started investigating all of those law firms, you might find that some of what they're doing uh, isn't entirely legal. But this whole thing is an absolute racket. And what the Daily Mail has exposed is just one tiny fraction of the enormous multi-billion industry that has grown up around this, uh, that has spawned around a huge and fraudulent uh, industry in basically fabricating asylum claims in order um, to start a new life here. Now, I actually almost don't blame people who come from no. less well countries. Seeing what a soft touch it is here, why not give it a go? I mean, your chances of it succeeding are very, very high. If we look at the figures last year, some 75,000 asylum claims, uh, the, the Home Office only managed to process 18,000 of those decisions in that year, of which three quarters were successful. Almost all of those who were unsuccessful decided to go to appeal. And guess what? They were half of those were successful mm. on appeal. So exactly who is it that we're sending home? I mean, basically, hardly anyone. Right. Uh, well, it's in, the, it's in the hundreds, isn't it? When we used to deport something like twenty to 30,000, I think one year under Tony Blair's government, it was even 40,000. Um, but we seem to have lost the ability to do all that, and yet more people are coming in. What ordinary voters have got to accept, and I believe almost all of our viewers and listeners do, but unfortunately, uh, you know, we haven't yet to persuade the Guardian readers, <laughs> is that the vast majority of people who are crossing the channel illegally and are coming here to claim asylum do not have credible, really well substantiated claims to be mm. here. This is economic opportunism. Don't blame them for giving it a go, but I do blame all the uh, parts of the government that have failed to stop it happening. And the very, very cynical uh, individuals and companies that are feeding off this. this is, they are parasites, mm. these people who are feeding off uh, the asylum system to make a very, very comfortable living for themselves. One of the lawyers at the Daily Mail exposed has been able to buy swanky uh, cars with personalised number plates. He's got a property empire mm. and he sends his son to Eton. Um, this is taxpayers' money. Mm. It is criminal to fake claims like that. And it is absolutely right that these people face the full mm. consequences. And also, how about uh, introducing a law which says that unless you're actually a citizen of this country, you cannot access legal aid. I don't care where you come from. I'm sorry for you uh, if you've had a hard life and I'm sorry if you're not making enough money to afford a lawyer. But why on earth should anybody who is a foreign national get access to legal aid in this country? 
well they they shouldn't um you know from top to bottom this has all gone completely mm. bonkers uh, all of those who are responsible uh, for putting this system in place and maintaining it have completely lost their heads mm. are changing the face of our country uh, we are importing far too many people without building the necessary infrastructure and houses to accommodate them and guess what if you leave people for literally years while you process their claims and say they can't work uh, and they're so they're stuck in migrant hotels what do you expect them to do mm. of course they go out and they work on the black market yeah of course they're going to do that there's no question about it and yet we still have a government talking about moving people around rather than stopping them actually coming you know let's put them on a barge let's put them you know in a in a hotel let's put them in an army camp you know that's the wrong uh, it's the wrong process isn't it i mean we're hearing now that you know there might be a fire risk on the bibby stockholm so we can't put anybody on it but even if they do put people on it it's not the answer of course it's not the answer i mean ever greater parts of our um, society are being set aside for this uh, complete abject failure of a policy. I mean, these hotels, migrant hotels, are now everywhere. Mm. It's now become uh, almost a matter of routine for good, hardworking people uh, with the right to be here and who've paid their tax all their lives to suddenly find they've been put out of a job because the hotel that they work in mm. is commandeered for this purpose. It's not just in inner city areas. This is all over the place. There's a particularly nice one uh, not too far from where I live in the Cotswolds. It used to be used as a wedding venue mm. and a spa, but it's now been turned over to asylum yeah. asylum And the problem is that this is also dividing communities. If you look at what's happening in Wales, yeah. and I know you, you've covered this case, you know, it is pitting people against each other in communities where people are struggling, good, hardworking people are struggling to make ends meet. And they look at what is being provided for fake asylum seekers, all on taxpayers, the free food, the free accommodation, the ability to just uh, go out and earn money without having to pay any taxes themselves. And they feel incredibly aggrieved and rightly so. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, just before I let you go, I see you tweeted uh, about Costa Coffee and that ludicrous poster that they put out there. Um, you know, they've said that basically the mural in its entirety showcases and celebrates inclusivity. I mean, you sometimes wonder what the hell is wrong with this country, don't you? There's nothing to celebrate about anyone chopping parts of their body off this is voluntary self-mutilation it's not something that anyone does lightly they do it because they are very very unhappy and unwell in the mind um and if that corrects for them uh, their awful state of mind then you know there is an argument that that is somehow okay i have to say i don't really necessarily buy that argument but for a coffee company to be saying that lopping your own breasts off, you know, undergoing that is something to be celebrated, mm. I think is utterly sick and perverse. Yeah, it absolutely is. Isabel, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Isabel Oakshot, Talk TV's international editor, talking great sense, uh, not only um, about that Costa story, but also, of course, about the migrant situation, uh, because we know, as well as anybody, what's going on out there. You know what's going on out there. I'm glad to see... 
that these law firms, three of them, are uh, being shut down. Uh, another legal advisor has been banned. But what we need to do properly is to go then into these offices, find out who they've been operating for, find out which particular people they managed to get migrant status for, asylum status for, and then investigate all those cases once again, just to double check that those people were genuine. And if they're not, kick them out of the country. Simple, isn't it? This is Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Lots of you need to uh, come on and talk to me today because we've got lots of great issues to discuss. Uh, not, with, not least, of course, all of the problems that have been caused uh, by the net zero ultimatum, the nonsense that we've been uh, led down to follow for years and years and years and years. It may well be that Rishi Sunak has seen uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. He might be leading us out of the net zero madness. I mean, I know he's still signed up to it. However, you never know. It looks as though he's going to ignore this Just Stop Oil crowd. He's going to ignore the Guardianistas. He's going to ignore the Daily Mirror. We've got the most ridiculous headline today, Just Stop Sunak, whatever that means. Uh, but let's talk now to Laura Dodsworth. It is Tuesday. Uh, she is the author, of course, of Free Your Mind, her latest book, which is out there now. It's already on the bestseller list, by the way. Laura, very good uh, morning to you. Oh, good morning. And I'm sorry I can't be with you, but train strikes. Yes, I'm afraid. Yeah, I this just is couldn't the thing. get in. This is the thing. You know, you, had, you struggled, I think, the last time they did this work to rule, which I think was last week. And, and other people who have been trying to come in from your neck of the woods had the same problem. You know, it's an insidious kind of strike because it's not really a strike. It's a work to rule, but it gives them the excuse to not do anything. Yeah, I mean, what's hard is you don't necessarily know till you get to the station what's going to be right. happening because there's a reduced service. Yes. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Sadiq Khan is so concerned about people getting to Pride in Brighton this weekend. You know, he, he came out and tweeted publicly that, you know, that was a risk to the safety of the event, but doesn't care about those of us who are trying to get into London to work. Mm. Yes. I mean... Nobody cares, do they, in uh, uh, Sadiq Khan's world about actual real life? They just care about putting out nice virtue signalling tweets on social media and talking about uh, how dangerous it is that the world is all about to end because of the climate crisis. And even now the United Nations have got a sensible guy in charge of the International Panel on Climate Change who's actually said all of this catastrophizing is actually not a good idea. Yeah, well, that's, that's well known. You know, there are lots of systematic reviews about the use of fear and actually making people frightened, but without giving them an action, a clear action to follow, some efficacy is quite detrimental to mental health. But also, of course, it's a cheap trick. You know, this is one of the premises of my new book, Free Your Mind. Yeah. Um, once you spot the tricks, you can't unsee them. People are wising up to this constant mm. climate catastrophizing. All of the terrible Earth Day predictions have never come to pass over the years. But just tying that back into Sadiq Khan and also to where we're hopefully going now in the UK with some of our attitudes towards balancing environmentalism with some crazy net zero policies. I mean, obviously, Uxbridge was a blow for Sadiq Khan, wasn't mm. it? Ultimately, if you don't give voters what they want, they won't vote for you. So the Tories won, albeit by a narrow margin, but almost certainly on the basis of um, the expansion of ULES. Yeah. And Rishi Sunak's making some very encouraging noises this week. I think to be applauded and encouraged, but he's fighting a, um, a rising tide, not from the seas, but of the metropolitan elite mm. who, for some reason, are extremely attached to these ideas 
that will actually cripple the the working classes and the middle classes of our metropolitan yeah. areas. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I keep hearing from people who are behind the sort of net zero campaigns, the people who want low traffic neighbourhoods, the people who want you out of your car. They're all people that live in cities who can go to work on a bicycle. Julie Hartley Brewer described them perfectly the other day. They're all kind of, you know, men in their sort of thir- 20s and 30s, probably, generally speaking. Uh, they've got managerial type positions or they've got jobs that they can do from home. They just need a laptop. You know, they put their lycra on, they cycle into work. They don't have to take kids to school. They don't have to pick kids up from school. They don't have to do the shopping. You know, they can do whatever it is they do on a bike. But, you know, guess what? When you live outside of the city, you can't do any of that. No, absolutely. And I think um, some of those men might be in your building working for one of your sister newspapers. Some of them might well be. And they describe attacks on ULES as right wing, which shows how profoundly they miss the point. Mm. The fact is that people who have diesel cars who will be upgrading in the fullness of time when they upgrade their cars are the ones who are being penalised. And these are people who are driving vans for work or have an old family car. There isn't some alliance of right-wing super-rich people standing up for poorer people with diesel cars. This is those of us who've got diesel cars who simply can't afford to pay £12.50 every day to get on the roads, Mm. to get to work, to move our families around, to do the shopping. Or to take the dog for a walk, even. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm lucky. I do step straight into countryside. That was, a, refer- that was a reference. It. That was a reference to Sadiq Khan, who likes to put his dog in the back of a car and then have that car and two other cars drive about four miles to a piece of grass, otherwise known as Clapham Common, where he likes to walk it. Yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely, good point. But you know, this all comes. This all comes back to people power. Like I say, if you don't give the people what they want, they won't vote for it. And do you know what? It's that it's it's like go woke, go broke. The Bud Light effect has now come to Costa. Um, I heard you just talking about this briefly with Isabel mm. um, Oakshop, but this has really got my go. You know, something about becoming older mm. as a human being, maybe it's as a woman, as a mother, is you, you stop giving two hoots what other people think and you do almost anything to defend children and young people. So Costa Coffee have got this mobile van and it's decorated with uh, mural style art, including a cartoon of a female who has had what is euphemistically called top surgery. That's basically an elective double mastectomy. Mm. Now, there are some people who feel their gender isn't doesn't align with the sex they were born with, and um, they go on to have this very radical uh, procedure, which is to remove their breasts. Mm. But we know that there are lots of young girls who have been referring to gender identity clinics. There's been an explosion of it in this country, which is why the government launched the CAS review into the um, Tavistock Gender Identity Clinic. And my fear with this kind of marketing is that it doesn't just normalise, but it almost glorifies something, which well, is Well, I mean, Costa, Costa have described dangerous. it. Yeah, Costa have described the mural uh, as celebrating inclusivity. Well, this is ridiculous. I mean, why did they pick that? Why did they pick that surgery? Why haven't they picked somebody who's had their legs amputated? Right. Also, this isn't a woman who had a double mastectomy for cancer. I bet you, because you know they've got blue hair. It's somebody who's non-binary or mm. trans or something. Mm. And I think that's really missing the point. You know, there was a um, there was a top surgeon, as they euphemistically called in the states, who put a photograph on Instagram a couple of years ago 
of breast tissue in medical waste buckets. It couldn't have said more clearly that female flesh is trash. Yeah. And and that How surgeon was rebuked. Yeah, awful, it's awful. It? And that surgeon was rebuked by authorities in the US. Now, like I said, while there might be some adults, some adult females who decide that in their case, the only way they can get through life is they're going to have this radical elective double mastectomy. But I know that there are lots of girls and women who've gone to regret this. I produced a feature for the Sunday Times a couple of years ago where I interviewed women who'd thought they were trans, had the surgery, and then changed their mind and regretted it. And the thing about this, of course, is you cannot get your breasts back. You'll never get them no, back. It's you a permanent have, thing, isn't it? It is. It's irreversible, um, damaging and complex surgery. And to see Costa promote this really made me feel sick. You know, they, they go on about single-use cups, don't they? Well, I think they've got really confused and they think the breasts are like single-use cups and they can be just chucked in the medical waste bin or the bin. Mm. And I, I think this is really alarming because, you know, we don't say to young girls with other types of serious body dysmorphia, such as anorexia, we don't say, well, this is okay and glorify no. it and produce adverts out of it. You know, the people who have this must experience very serious psychological distress to take such a life-changing surgery. And this is not something that should be glorified in marketing on the side of a van. I felt sick. It's and awful. you know what? It's, it's just uh, literally Co ridiculous, isn't it? Costa's one of these chains as well that years ago was pulled up short for making a fuss about a woman breastfeeding mm. in, in a cafe. You know, we like to think this is really normal and we're all cool with it now. But, uh, you know, as a breastfeeding mother, once with some certain establishments that aren't that keen on it, they have um, woke unisex toilets, which are a real pet hate of mine. You know, they're going down a road where customers aren't going to follow them. There are plenty of coffee chains to buy your coffee in, where they don't treat breasts like single-use cups, where they have respect for women and girls, and they don't promote elective dangerous surgery. You know, children are very curious, and they see pictures and they say, oh, what does this mean, mummy? Why does this man not have this? Or why does this woman have scars on her chest? You know, you can just imagine as a mum with a small kids having to explain this bizarre picture to your children, to your toddlers. Yeah. What are we doing to young people? This has to end. I think this is their Bud Light moment. I'm furious. Yeah. Um, I think a I'm lot of women are. To, I'm not of... going to be going, not going to Costa. I've no. had it with Costa. There no. are lots of other coffee shops out there. Yeah, absolutely right. I think a lot of people would echo that sentiment. A lot of uh, very good and strong women have said the same thing this morning, and I'm saying it, and I'm not even a woman. Um, and, let's and talk... here's another one, Dr. Martins. <laughs> yeah, have you seen... I've, Dr. Seen, I've, Martins seen, in... I've seen a boot. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if this is um, a very limited edition boot. I'm afraid I don't have the full facts on this. I haven't looked into it thoroughly. But there was a report in the Daily Mail about um, this limited range of Dr. Martin's boots, again featuring a woman who's had this elective double mastectomy. Now, when I think back to Dr. Martin's, which, by the way, I lived in in my teens yeah. and early 20s, you know, it was kind of it was kind of cool for young women. You're wearing flat boots, not heels. They're very punk. Mm. Um, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they saying to young women who look up to that brand and aspire them? Mm. It's okay to chop your breasts off. I know. And again, no disrespect to the individuals who decided that's the only way they get through life, but why are we emblazoning what used to be cool footwear with it? Yeah. What is going on? I know. Again, it's I mean it's another it's another nail in the 
nail in the coffin. But nail it's in more, the you know, it's more virtue signalling. It's more virtue signalling coming from the sort of, you know, the the younger members of these companies who think that by somehow getting them to signal how cool they are without actually understanding what it is that they're promoting, that they think that's a good thing for the company. When in fact, it always, almost always turns out to be a really bad idea for the company, and they lose yeah. value, they lose share price, and they lose customers. Let me tell you about one of those young women I spoke to for this Sunday Times feature called The Detransitioners in 2021. Her name is Lucy. When I photographed and interviewed her, she was 23. Between the ages of 15 and 17, she was severely anorexic. Um, she was a lesbian, but had a lot of internalised homophobia and had encountered it you know, externally in the world as mm. well. And she, she hated her body. By the time she was 21, she'd had her breasts removed, and she'd had a full hysterectomy. So when I met her at 23, she was full of regret. She was very fragile. Uh, she will be on HRT her whole life and has to deal with the fact that doctors gave her these elective procedures to remove her breasts, her uterus, and her ovaries because she mistakenly thought she was a man. Yeah, and it's God. people like that we need to protect from glorifying such radical procedures. It really is incredible, absolutely incredible. We're talking about the, the development of children. Um, the lockdown, apparently, this will come as no great surprise, you know, this is the least shocking news of the week. Um, it harmed emotional development of almost half of children. Um, I don't know where they get the half from. I would say probably probably all of them. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's. I mean, it's another depressing piece of news that's coming out of the COVID inquiry that basically um, confirms what many child psychologists and of course perfectly normal right-thinking people were predicting from the beginning and it's why closing schools was absolutely never on any pandemic plans and shouldn't have happened no. quite the contrary pandemic plans were all about how you would keep schools open even if teachers were off sick it really is quite extraordinary what we've been saying for so long and we were saying at the time uh, is now kind of becoming um, perceived wisdom as if nobody thought about it at the time that not sending your kids to school would be a bad idea or making your mm. children stay at home I mean I remember saying years uh, years ago now because we are talking probably what nearly three years ago um, to my to my then sort of 15 year old son why don't you go and hang around in the street and drink cider? You know, do something rather than sitting at home staring into a computer and talking to your mates on a computer game. Absolutely. I mean, I think there are a lot of us that let our sons, uh, or, you know, children break the rules a bit and hang out with their friends because it was clearly going to go to a very, very dark place if they stayed at home in their bedrooms on their screens. Mm. And, you know, there was this idea that we'd be homeschooling them, that families were really close and having a great time together. That was the case for some families, and I, I don't begrudge them it. Um, I'm a single parent. I had to work out how to earn a living, mm. especially as a lot of my work got brushed off the yeah. table. I wasn't really available to forest school them and teach them to make soda bread. It was a miserable time and it's very depressing sad news that the inquiry that the the inquiry is uncovering a perfectly predictable mm. um uh, results that experts warned us about. Well exactly, but also why is it taking them this long to figure it out? 
I don't know, why is it going to take them years to finish the inquiry? I, mm. I mean, it, it's the whole thing is, a, I'm sorry, but a, a pointless whitewash. We also found out last week that the Secret Services were involved with the Counter Disinformation Unit. Yes. I am looking forward to more evidence about that. I mean, it's no great surprise, but this um, shadowy Counter Disinformation Unit that was monitoring various of us, you know, my name was on a subject access request as well. Um, watching what we were saying, um, reading our press articles, sharing the rounds in dossiers and, you know, potentially asking for people to be, um, you know, for misinformation to be removed, mm. whereas misinformation wasn't anything sometimes except lawfully held views and yeah. things that turned out to be true. That counter disinformation unit was working with GCHQ yeah. um, and the intelligence units. I think we, there's still a lot more to find out about what's happened um, the government really shouldn't be monitoring its own citizens in this way. They should have been working out what Chinese bot armies were doing um, or why the virus escaped from a lab potentially. Mm. Not what ordinary citizens or journalists were saying online when they were discussing their theories about the time. Mm. But it's all about the message, isn't it? I mean, we're seeing it now with the net zero scenario where we've got, um, you know, somebody like Chris Packham. I don't know if you've seen his tweet today. It's trending currently. Uh, where he said this about uh, the new exploration of the North Sea by Rishi Sunak and his policy for uh, finding new oil and gas licences. Please screen grab this tweet and keep it handy. When food prices soar, water wars break out, your house burns down, your business is washed away, polar bears are extinct, or in a few years' time, when a desperate and angry young person asks you who was responsible for killing their world. I mean, right. okay, well, I just I said, you know, calm down being, a bit, but... Chris. <laughs> I don't know what it's been, but food prices have already soared. Yeah. I would say that my food shopping is double what it was five years ago, and I only shop at the cheap supermarket chains. Mm -hmm. um, polar bears are thriving, yeah. and houses aren't burning down because of climate change. No. You know, um, while world leaders and supranational body leaders were delighted, that was like delighting in trying to tell us that forest fires in the Med were because of um, climate change. Local authorities are saying that there was arson. Mm. And we're also hearing that people haven't been cutting down trees enough and managing dead wood enough. The picture is always more complex. So they take this kind of headline information and use it deliberately to fuel fears. Um, Chris Packham's tweet just sounds like it's a collection of nonsensical, unprovable fear mongering codswallop. Well, exactly right. It's what you would expect from a sort of 17-year-old in Extinction Rebellion who's, you know, heard somebody speaking about the fact that we're all going to die and actually believes it. Mm. I'd like to know what he's got to say to the people who can't afford to heat their homes in the winter. Yeah. Um, you know, or the people who aren't going to be able to afford cars. Well, exactly. These people don't, these people don't have any plan for, for where the electricity to power yeah. electric cars is coming from. They just talk about polar bears, but again, without any evidence. Yeah. Exactly right. And I know I don't always ask you very often about politicians and individual kind of parties and things, but do you have any faith in Rishi Sunak actually possibly pushing net zero away for a while, you know, so that he is going to somehow maybe row back on these low traffic neighbourhoods? He is going to be the friend of the car driver and, and maybe look at getting rid of some of these ULES uh, fees and maybe um, the net zero principle uh, can be moved. The net zero principle will have to be moved because when people understand what the cost to them is, they will not have it. They won't go along with it and they won't vote for it. So I have confidence that politicians do listen to voters. Um, that said, of course, cynically, we have to balance this with the fact that we're just, what, 18 months away from a, from a general election. Mm. And it just sounds like typical uh, conservative manoeuvring to, to recapture some votes. 
we've got to remember that a lot of this started with Theresa May. Yeah. Um, we've got to remember that Ulez started with Boris Johnson. I think the Conservative Party is as guilty as all of them as foisting um, policies that have no real democratic mandate on an unwilling population without ever truly explaining what the cost of them will be. But as people start understanding the cost, political parties will have to listen. They so, will. I mean, I, I, I remain optimistic, as always. Well, I think so. I think, I think when they're confronted with their own extinction, they tend to sit up and take notice of them, <laughs> don't they? I mean, that's what I always yeah. like, to, like, like to think. Let's finish up with universities and Freshers' Week, because apparently uh, you can't call it Freshers' Week anymore because uh, it's not inclusive enough. Well, I love this story. It's really funny. Um, so Freshers' Week is now going to be called Welcome Week. <laughs> Um, and the premise behind it is is that Freshers Week has got these connotations of binge drinking. Now, believe it or not, Mike, I actually quite like some aspects of this story because I think as a culture, we probably do drink too hard and too young. And I look back at my time at university and I can say, I can hold up both hands and say, I, I drank too much. I probably partied too hard. I wish I'd got a bit more out of my course. And all of the things that were available to me as a young person that I didn't understand, I wouldn't have time for as I got older. So I think broadening their horizons and, and having less focus on drinking is good. But I don't really know why it had to be renamed because Freshers Week is simply about having a fresh start. It doesn't have to mean getting pissed. You know, they could have still called it Freshers Week. Um, I remember going I mean, to it's not a Fairs. word I think a lot of people who are not familiar with the university lingo would know anyway. I mean, it's not a word you use in any other context, is it? I mean, you don't go... Let's have a look at the freshers who are coming to work today who've never been here before since their first day at work. You don't say it. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit condescending. I mean, I'm, I don't really care what they call people. Um, I just kind of slightly resent the pretense that they're going to do more things and be broad, more broad-minded when, in fact, it's the opposite that's going to be true because you're going to go to university and you're going to be lectured about what you shouldn't think and be told what you should believe. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm with you on that. I, I do have mixed feelings about it. You know, there have always been freshers' fairs where you, you see all the different societies and organisations to join, whether it's hot air ballooning or drama or debating or yeah. whatever. You know, there's, there's all these different things you can get involved with. It's just that most students, they're away from home for the first time and they choose to hit the university bar, you know, right. the union bar. That's what And happens. you join all the societies we, that the good-looking people are in renaming it's going to do nothing for that but one thing i read about is they were going to have alpacas for petting and i thought this is part this is part of the promise this kind of infantilization of people we're going to rename it so everyone feels included and we're going to treat you like your kids at a petting zoo yeah. i mean seriously if there are 18 year olds who want to go and pet the alpacas like they're six rather than embark mm. upon adult life that is a bit tragic and snowflakey and i've got nothing wrong with alpacas or petting zoos it's just not top of mind right. for most 18 year olds maybe they could just do what the chinese do and have a, uh, a man in an alpaca suit <laughs> yes but god forbid that we'd ever say that those videos that came out of china of people falling flat on their face mm. when they got covid and were surrounded by hazmat suits were fake <gasps> we wouldn't suggest that. No. I, put that. I put that in my book and it's something that's picked up on in a review of the book in The Times, oh, yeah. that it was sort of a conspiracy theory to suggest that these videos might be fake. Do you remember those videos? I do. They're, they're walking, people are walking mm. around, they're going about their business normally and then bonk, they'd fall over yeah. face first and you think that was impressive. I mean, that's, yeah. that's hard. Also, do you remember those, those kind of, your face? Sort of cattle prods some... type things they had that with the, with the, with the U shape to put around somebody so they couldn't get too close to you? 
Yeah, I remember that as well. And they'd be surrounded by these hazmat suits. Yeah. It's as though China had stumped COVID. It didn't really have real COVID. And so those videos were being shared everywhere and everyone's getting really scared about the virus. And then I saw this man standing in a bear. I was like, ha, yeah, don't tell me that fake videos don't come out of China. Mm. There was nothing real about those COVID videos. About as real as that bear. <laughs> we might have to have a look at the bear in a bit. Laura, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Laura Donsworth, uh, latest book is called Free Your Mind. And uh, you will free your mind uh, if you read it coming up uh, we'll take some more of your calls maybe we will uh, show you that bear video if you haven't seen it yet it's quite something this is talk tv across the uk online and on dab the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio so if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.